Hello and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator, JP, and I am here with Matt. Hey. And Amy. Hello. Unfortunately, Father Chuck can't be here with us uh, because we fired him. Uh-huh. Uh, we did One not like bad comment about Insync. We, we were not happy with his reaction to 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 Insync, and uh, we 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 let him go. So <laughs> we said uh, bye bye bye. So there is a spot open if you are interested. Um, send us an essay on your feelings towards Insync, and depending on how well it's written and, and your your, your yeah. opinions, we'll, we'll let you we'll let you be uh, let you take Father Chuck's face place. You can be Father whatever you want. Take his face. You can take his face. <laughs> take his face too. Record, yeah, we'll peel that off, record. put it right back on you. That's would be great. Yeah. Just for the record, Amy's probably walking a thin line with her own essay about insane. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like. Well, went back and reviewed it i was not open-minded it's an interesting thing like watching your opinions displayed for everyone in a podcast and you, you like review back and you're like is that what i want to put out there Ooh, do i need to like go back in this next podcast and like clean up after myself a little bit oh uh, yeah i know what you mean you're like oh that that's what i let escape my mouth oh yeah that's yeah great. it's also in the moment that's why there's also tricks i learned of um a text immediately when we're done that says jp edit from here to here (laughs) (laughs) um well guys uh so this week amy selected the album that we listened to and that album was uh audio slave by audio slave self-titled album and guys um if you don't mind i uh i made some notes you mind if i uh go into my my thing please all right Cue the music. If you haven't heard of Audio Slave, in a 2003 interview with Spin Magazine, guitarist Tom Morello said, There are two ways you can form a band. You can start with an idea and form a band around that idea, or you can form a band and see what ideas are created. The first method tends to create derivative bands, so we did the latter. What we did was take the Led Zeppelin lineup and make a Chemical Brothers song. We took influences from Doves and Portishead, but we've tried to play them in our style, and all of it ended up sounding unlike any of our old bands. The old bands Tom Morello refers to are Rage Against the Machine and Soundgarden, two of the most successful and distinct groups of the 1990s. If you've ever listened to Rage Against the Machine and Soundgarden, you probably notice that these two bands sound nothing alike. Rage Against the Machine were deeply politically conscious rap metal progenitors, while Soundgarden was a flannel-covered, Black Sabbath-like grunge band from Seattle who sang about Black Hole Suns and Spoonmen. The merging of the two was suggested by legendary producer Rick Rubin. Zach De La Roca had left Rage Against the Machine rather abruptly, leaving guitarist Tom Morello, bassist Tim Comerford, and drummer Brad Wilk without a frontman. Rick came at us and said, why don't you jam with Chris Cornell? And then a rehearsal got scheduled to where we were going to go meet Chris Cornell. It was more than just, for me at that time, it was more than just, we get to, we get to be, we're going to jam with Chris Cornell. You know, it, that was, that in itself made my hair stand up. But then it was like, and Rick Rubin wants to produce it. And we don't even have any songs. We didn't want to do a project. We didn't want to do a one-off. We wanted it to be a band. 
first time we got together, we just jammed together. And we decided, well, let's just try writing some songs. And I got there and figured, I'm going to know within 10 minutes. And within 10 minutes, I knew that it would be great. But I stuck in there for maybe an hour and a half. And then they were ready to just keep going and keep going. And I stopped and said, I think we can be a band. We wrote about 21 songs in 19 days. And it was um, the most fertile creative period in our careers. And it was awesome. The forming of Audio Slave proved to be a welcomed change of pace for the former Rage members. In the days of Rage Against the Machine, their politics took front and center for audiences, with their actual creativity and artistry being largely ignored by their audience. While breaking up with De La Roca proved to be a painful and abrupt event, Audio Slave allowed them to focus solely on the music. Tim Comerford told Spin Magazine, It's important to realize that it was more than just music with Rage Against the Machine. We put the politics first, and consequently, there are a lot of people who didn't give a f about the music we played. But when I was a teenager, I was in my room learning how to play bass by listening to Rush and the Sex Pistols. I wasn't reading Karl Marx. With Tom Morello's unmistakable chunky guitar riffs and Chris Cornell's face-melting throaty belts, Audio Slave skewed more toward a traditional style of rock in an era where new metal and pop punk reigned supreme. Audiences embraced Audio Slave with arms wide open, but critics weren't as convinced. Audio Slave received mixed reviews. Pitchfork Media's reviewers Chris Dolan and Ryan Schreiber praised Cornell's voice, but criticized virtually every other part of the album, calling it the worst kind of studio rock album, rigorously controlled, even undercut by studio gimmickry. They described Cornell's lyrics as complete gibberish and called producer Rick Rubin's work a synthesized rock-like product that emits no heat. On the other hand, other critics praised the supergroup's style reminiscent of 1970s heavy metal and compared it to Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, saying they add much-needed sound and style to contemporary mainstream rock music and have the potential to become one of the best rock bands of the 21st century. Despite its mixed reviews, Audio Slave was a bona fide success. Uh, they entered the Billboard Top Top 200 chart at position number seven after selling 162,000 copies in its first week. It was certified gold by the RIAA, RIAA, less than a month after its release, and by 2006 it had achieved triple platinum selling status. It is the most successful Audio Slave album to date, having sold more than three million copies in the United States alone. And that is Audio Slave. So, I was actually oh. really, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I was actually really surprised by the mixed reviews. Mm. Um, because when it came out, I loved it. And mm -hmm. everyone around me loved it. We were all singing the hits and rocking out. Like I said in the last episode, I had an Audio Slave t-shirt that I wore all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Big fan. Uh, and I actually read one of those reviews that's mentioned uh, in what I, what, I, what I just read. And the guy, and it's funny, Matt, you, you played that song. Um, 
Yeah, because I've had the wrong song stuck in my head all week <laughs> listening to this album. Don't You Forget About Me. And one of those critics pointed out, this song sounds way too much like Don't You Forget About Me. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. But yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised at the mixed reviews um, because I, I I actually really like the album. <laughs> and I like mm-hmm. I love all the hits on it. And I love Chris Cornell. And I love Rage Against the Machine. And I thought it was um, I thought it was a good joining of the two bands. Uh, so I want to ask you, Amy, what is your relationship with this album and why did you choose it for Music Mayhem? Oh, I almost kind of want to go the route of Matt, at least save like a little bit like more towards the end so it doesn't like derail the conversation That's as far as totally my fine. relationship goes. Sure. Um, well, first, do you I'm going to respond to some of those things in there. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> do whatever you want. The, the mixed reviews. I think that a lot of the mixed reviews came from people who had a specific relationship with either Rage Against the Machine or Soundgarden or both. And they wanted, they needed Chris Cornell to like play that specific role for them rather than sort of sit back and like allow him to grow as an artist or all of them. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. And it came out, I loved it. Uh, they were, Audio Slave was in a time, yeah, like of the pop punk. And I listened to an interview recently when you know they were saying that you know no one really sounds like us on the radio and it's such a thing in rock like in order to sell your rock and roll music you have to be kind of like a jokester Mm -hmm. and they said in that interview like we're we're funny guys but we're so thankful that we're not a funny band you know not a funny band no not not like not like the bc boys or whatever that like nothing no no it's it's not it's very it's a very it's very serious rock and roll Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. So much could be said. <laughs> I have such a relationship with this album, like right now in my life, that has nothing to do with nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And not just this one, but a lot a lot of Cornell's work. I'll get into it. Here we go. Okay. So I so Chris Cornell for me is an archetype, you know, and especially like this album and this music is a very um a part of his journey, I guess, that that I re- related to in most of my spiritual life and growth where you feel like, you know, there's one song on there that he says, um, the lyrics are nail in my head from my creator. You gave me life. Now show me how to live. And that reminds me of sort of like the thorn in the flesh scenario where he's saying that, you know, like, this is my burden. This is the soul. This is the creation that I am. Like, what do I do with it? You know, to me, Chris Cornell was a sage you know he certainly was a poet but he had some interesting connection and relationship with like with death and um you know really romanticizing you know depression and and those type of things in a truly a truly beautiful way uh so i think that it serves its purpose and its place especially for a lot of what's going on right now in our culture. So I personally have a front row seat in the suicide epidemic. Um, I have close family members who, uh, one in particular who is, you know, actively struggling with suicidal tendencies. I have close friends. I have yoga teachers that I've trained with that have very unexpectedly committed suicide in ways that were very in your face. And, um, you know, it's like year after year, I'm 
seeing these bodies drop around me, literally. So this is, and it's something that I've not personally struggled with. I don't have suicidal thoughts. I don't have suicidal tendencies. Um, But I'm so close to the people that do that I'm in this constant place of like, similar to Chris Cornell, like this is my burden. Like, how do I do this? Where I just, I want to know how to help. So this brings me, you know, this music for me gives me an opportunity to say this is important, this deserves consideration without dwelling there. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, I know I'm going no, on a tail. Like I said, you no, I, <laughs> I completely understand that. It's it's a um, and you know you, you mentioned last week, uh, you know, when when Chris Cornell died, you know, that that it was kind of <sighs> Sadly, inconvenient that he, uh, you know, basically overdosed. I would do overdose on heroin or something like. Is that no, no? He hung himself oh, in Detroit him. okay. after a show in right. his hotel room alone. You yeah, and it was very unexpected. Yeah, you mentioned he did that while he was revisiting while he was doing Soundgarden shows. Right, and I do regret saying that. I think it ultimately led to his death because I didn't know Chris Cornell personally, and right. I don't know what was going through his mind in that day. I've wondered so many things. He's given me because of the way he created his artwork. He's really provided us with a window into the mind and into the soul of somebody, you know. And so, like I said, to me, he's become sort of the poster child for suicide mm-hmm. because his entire creative work is uh, peppered with it. You know, it's not the only theme of what they do. But even the song, Like a Stone, that song is, like, who he's waiting for, he says, I'll wait for you there. Um, That you is death. Like, he is singing about his personal relationship to death, and he says, I'll wait for you there alone, because it is this, uh, something that we face as an individual. And I think that he always saw himself in sort of isolation, as he moved through this world, mm-hmm. it's interesting. He's such a, a deep soul. Nothing he ever did was um, petty, right? You know. Yeah, and it's it's something that I think kind of fascinates me about artists, uh, whether they're musicians or singers or or even actors. Actors continue to kind of amaze me how they can like be so close to. Um, whether it's something like mm. depression or anxiety, yeah. or like they have to convey that they have to like actually embody it. An artist has to kind of draw this line where it's like, I can't like actually be suicidal, but I need to sing about it. Mm. And it's, it, it's, it is speaking as an artist myself, I've never had to actually dwell on anything like that, that deep before. I mostly write about vampires <laughs> uh, or, you know, aliens. Uh, so I don't have to go that deep, but there is something I think fascinating to me about that of of being able to live through those deeply human moments and come out the other side. Like I'm okay. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Totally cool. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, So it's, I think there is something about like being okay with death, Mm -hmm. but also like not be, trying not to let it affect you and it's that's really difficult <laughs> uh because yeah. I, I think some of our best artists yeah, kind of maybe even kind of succumb to it and and, and aren't able to I, I don't know i don't know if i'm saying anything coherent i don't know uh 
but uh, it's, it, it, but I, I know it's 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 that that's the subject matter, you know, and this is where I spiral around it. I've read so much, you know, I'm a psychology student, and like I said, because it's been around me so much, I almost feel like this is part of my dharma. This is part of like my my path is to try to make some progress. You know, it's the number two leading cause of death in our age range currently, which probably says a lot about our medical advances too, you know, and that's a blessing. But um, I don't know, you know, but it still is the subject, like talk about a conundrum. But what I have, what what I think that it shows, you know, not just like Chris Cornell's suicide, but then you have Chester Bennington and, you know, staying in the rock genre, but then who's like the food guy and then... Oh, Anthony Bourdain. Kate Spade and stuff. I think like one thing that we see for sure is for the people that struggle with this, and we're going to kind of clean this up and get back to the album and the music, um, no amount of achievement, success, or seeming good times, it's something if different. These people aren't committing suicide because they're hopeless or because their life is bad or empty. It is a, a tendency because I've heard from what I've studied is that a lot of times these urges come at, at peak moments, you know? Mm-hmm. So this really shows that the suicidal tendency and thought process, which I do not possess, you know, so I only try to understand, but I have people very close to me that do and will share that their experiences with me is that it almost is kind of like a a demon in the mind or something, you know, that kind of comes through if you, I don't know. And so I think that most people that end up committing suicide, it's just a weak moment. You know, it wasn't this like huge buildup. It's just like they slipped like right then, you know, and that's what I felt about Chris Cornell is that he slipped right then. It's like the weather coming in, you know, I got him. Yeah. You you can, you know, all you can really do is just kind of like hope for it to pass soon. (laughs) Yeah. Like to to bump it down and like get through it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm glad that you you actually brought that up, Amy, and that you're you're sharing. And I know I know it's I know it's difficult um, to share stuff like that and to kind of and talk about it, especially in a, in a, in a uh, pop culture podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I appreciate that. So coming back to the music and the artists and stuff, yeah, it seemed like um, the members of Rage Against the Machine when Zach De La Roca split from them, they were kind of, you know like what next you know very much felt sort of like abandoned and maybe like uh afraid you know that like this was kind of the end of the road for them as far as being highly successful musicians who knows you know but they felt like they were you know caught empty-handed um especially tom comerford from the interviews i've seen and stuff like that he was very smitten with chris cornell and i think he was like a kid on christmas like when he actually saw that coming into fruition for the group so it's really cool how i feel in my opinion that zach de la roca falling off um was great for them you know ultimately but (laughs) at the same time they were never willing to say that they preferred audio slave to either one of their you know i've seen interviews where where uh, people are prodding at them a hold little on, bit to like, get them to say, Matt, what's wrong? Kids. <laughs> we have children running around the house. Oh, okay. They're he really looks like very bothered by something. Like Look, yeah, he he's coming up, and it wasn't for anything important. Yes, <laughs> my children are home from school. It's fun, guys. Um, Summer's here. Yeah, 
Continue, yeah, I'm but, sorry. So interviewers would sort of prod at them to try to get any of the members to say that they liked Audio Slave, mm-hmm. preferred it to Rage or preferred it to Soundgarden. And they just wouldn't do it. They were just like, it's a different group. And they're like, how is it different? He's like, different people, you know, like we're different people <laughs> playing music together. So it's different. But um, ultimately, I think that it was a level up for the members of Rage Against the Machine when they got together with Chris Cornell. Oh, yeah. But obviously, I have a long Chris Cornell fan. Yeah. I'm going to try not to go too much into like just a 14-year-old fangirl. No, we want that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Where else can you do that? Oh, uh, everywhere. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> um, yeah, especially. I, the, the one thing I know about Tim... Uh, uh, what's his name? Comerford. Tim Comerford. He seemed mm-hmm. to be the most deeply affected by Zachary LaRocca leaving. Um, mm-hmm. Because he, like, apparently they had been friends since they were like in the fifth grade or something. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. And he said that uh, he felt that after Zach had left, that Rage Against the Machine, ra- that Rage Against the Machine was a failure. Like their whole, oh, rhetor- wow. their whole rhetoric and their whole message and their whole uh, uh, mission statement was a complete failure. After that, mm. Tom Rilla didn't really agree with that. He's like, no, 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 it's not. It that was bad. what it was. Yeah, it was <laughs> but Tim time. was like. Uh, yeah, Rage Against the Machine, failure. Ah, uh, Tim, he's a young soul. I know. <laughs> um, he's like the apprentice. Yeah. So <laughs> Matt, Matt's, Matt's been been very quiet, and I'm very interested in, in his his sort of initial thoughts on the album. It's a lot. It's <laughs> first of all, it's hard to follow up the the deeper discussion. Um, because it's a really good one, and I wanted to chime in there, but I just wanted to listen more. (laughs) Um, But my initial thoughts on the album as an album is I I loved it listening to it. Um, It brought back a lot of memories because I knew I liked Audio Slave. I knew I used to listen to Audio Slave. I know I even owned the CD, but I didn't remember how much I knew them till I started playing it back and I realized like the couple hits off the album. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, I heard these all the time. Um, but yeah, no, I really like it. That, that, that's right in my wheelhouse for sound and aesthetic, if you will. Right. Um, I'm a huge fan, so it's definitely the kind of music that I don't necessarily sit down with and go, okay, I'm going to put headphones on and really dive into this. It's the kind of music that I would have playing in my car and I wouldn't even realize I've had it playing for the last like four weeks in a row because I would just keep listening to it and kind of like bobbing along while I'm driving and stuff. So I liked it. I enjoyed it. But um, which, by the way, she started diving in deep and I'm like, man, I wish I had read the lyrics and studied <laughs> it and gotten prepared because right well, it's, yeah. it's good. It's good stuff. Study sesh. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that, Matt. I think I think this album was like perfect driving music. Mm. Like the whole thing. Now, was, yeah. Now I got to do an awkward pause here before you get into that, and you have to use your editing magic skills here okay. for right. our fans okay. because you touched on what we talked about before we actually started the episode. But I just want to play it for a minute because I keep singing yeah. the wrong song <laughs> in my head. So I want JP to use his editing magic, and he's going to play. The first, what would you say that is, Amy? 16 beats? Something like that. Of, um, what's it called? Show Me How to Live. Show Me How to Live. So you're going to play like the first 16 beats right now? (laughs) 
And then I want you to play the very opening of Don't You right now. And now everybody can listen to Audio Slave, and every time their song starts, I want you to go, hey, 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 right when you're. Because that's what I kept doing in my car over and over, and I didn't even realize I was doing it, JP. Here's the really funny part. You guys are going to roll your eyes at this one, because this is how life connects in weird ways. <laughs> I didn't even realize what I was doing until my wife and I randomly were like, hey, you know what I want to watch again? Let's watch Pitch Perfect. So we decided to watch Pitch Perfect. And in that movie, a guy is trying to convince her to watch The Breakfast Club, because he says it's one of the greatest endings to a movie ever. And he finally hits play on it at one point, and that song starts. And I go, that's it! That's what I've been doing this whole time! And Heather's like, what are you talking about? So I had to play it for her. And that's why I've had it stuck in my head for the whole week. And I didn't even realize what I was doing until I re- uh, until watching a random movie that references another movie <laughs> that references a song that this song plays off of. Well, I wonder if they heard that when they recorded it and wrote it. I don't. I don't. I, you know, the, the thing is, I've been listening. That's "Show Me How to Live" is was my was my favorite track off that album for years. I'm just now noticing this. That's <laughs> what I mean. That's what you I mean. Told that's me this one, morning, and I was like, "Oh yeah." That's one right. of the songs that I know I listen to a lot. Yeah. And I never had that happen until I'm driving in the car, and when the music started, I just naturally like started the haze. Yeah. And at first I was like, what the heck? And then all of a sudden it clicked what was going on. I never realized that <laughs> until this time around. And it cracks me up. Well, I have that uh, Chris Dolan uh, from Pitchfork review from all the way back in 2003 uh, where he mentions it. And it says, and this is, <laughs> keep in mind, folks, this is a 2003 review. It's a bit problematic. Uh, at its worst, this project is just plain retarded. On Show Me How to Live, Audio Slave snatched the opening chords from Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. Try keeping the hey, hey, hey out of your head during this thing. <laughs> and then cop the riff from Aerosmith's uh, Walk This Way. So that's the part. In the right. same song? Yeah. Now I got to listen and see if I start singing Walk This Way. <laughs> but Yeah, Chris Dolan, uh, he, he hated that album. He really, really didn't. Wait, who is well. that fool? His name Who is, is that fool? I love it. <laughs> Chris Chris Dolan. And what did he do? Um, oh, he's a music critic. About, music critic. Uh, he wrote Pitchfork. about other people's greatness. For Pitchfork. <laughs> uh, well, I guess the, the article says by Chris Dolan and Ryan Schreiber. So I guess it's written by two people. I guess I don't know. Weird. <clears throat> I've never seen that before. Um, then again, I don't really like <laughs> music criticism. Well, that's the thing about any art critic is. They study this stuff, so they do have a level of credibility to what they say. Yeah. But they're still human. So there are times where they just totally miss the point. So they hear something, and they're like, this is awful. And it's like, you totally miss what yeah. this was. Like, it happens. You know, human. So who knows? Maybe the guy's not awful. But judging by the way he said that and how problematic that is today, I'm going to go with he's probably pretty awful. Yeah. Well, it, you know, the thing I notice about... That I've noticed, you know, ever since we started doing Music Mayhem, I've been like, what I what I kind of do to prepare is I, I'll read Rolling Stone or Pitchfork or Spin Magazine articles that, from like the day when like albums were released and stuff, and see how 
critics reacted to it. Something I'm kind of, and this is actually the first time, these past few years, the first time I've ever read music criticism. The thing I'm kind of picking up on, on music criticism as opposed to like film criticism, music is so, I feel like is so much more subjective than mm-hmm. like film mm-hmm. or uh, any other kind of art. And it's just so weird hearing this guy rail on this album when right. I remember it being like, hugely celebrated like it was a huge freaking deal when it came out oh, and yeah. like everyone was like whoa rage and soundgarden together that's weird group. and, and like one of it. the most ever successful super groups in my opinion yeah and the album came out and everyone was like oh my gosh it's better than we expected mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's i don't know it's kind of well, weird reading these takes because i never also anyone thought this way about audio slave also, I get it. We live in a world where you're going to have critics and people devote their life to this and study it. But there's also something fundamentally like rubs me the wrong way about the concept of a critic talking about rock and roll to begin with. <laughs> like, yeah, it feels like those two things I... don't belong together. Like the only criticism of rock and roll should be the other rock and roll artists saying how much the one band sucks because they sell out in their posers while that band is saying, you're just angry because we're better than you. Like that yeah. to me is rock and roll criticism. Mm-hmm. When you start getting actual like critics who I studied this and the layers of the music and the, I'm like that doesn't, that just doesn't seem to go with the whole world of rock and roll to begin with, to have like professional criticism against rock and roll which was like <laughs> against everything professional. <laughs> like, oh yeah, like just I mean, I it, like, it. it's like critiquing a, a punk show or something, where it's yeah, like, it's... You're, I don't get it. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna What are you gonna say? Like, I what think you, you missed the point, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would love to see like a classic music person criticize like punk rock songs that were written purposely to like great on your nerves yeah, while to, listening like, to it like it, yeah it's like literally written <laughs> to not work musically at points so that you're forced to like follow the what they're doing like yeah, yeah. how do you i don't get it how do yeah. you well yeah it just leaves me thinking like what did these people want you know like <laughs> tom morello is such a, a good guitar player they were constantly coming up you know it, yeah it's like you can pick up like similar um you know, riffs to songs, and like I can see it now. I can hear it now in in Show Me How to Live that it sounds like other songs. But there is so much inventive about this album, and so many of the songs. You know, like I said, Tom Morello is always putting down just like weird guitar stuff, and I love that. And that's something that he has in common with uh, whatever the guy's name is that was guitarist for Soundgarden. They did some weird oh. guitar stuff too. Oh, what was his? It was it Kim. Uh, I, yeah. I remember. I, I think it was a last name I, I can't pronounce. <laughs> I will say I hear far more similarity between like Soundgarden to Audio Slave than Audio Slave to Rage, which is interesting, you know, because you got three out of four in Audio Slave from Rage Against the Machine with just the the front man change, you know. So mm-hmm. it kind of shows you. Yeah, because I, I think I think I think the re- I, I I agree with that because and I think it's because I think Chris Cornell is is like a genius. Mm-hmm. Like he I think he's indeed. kind of he's pretty prodigious in, in his writing his lyrics. Um, I don't think I think I don't I don't think these members of Rage are necessarily geniuses, but they are like 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 incredible craftsmen mm. who can like make who are just great at experimenting with art. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. um, like like Tom Morello can do things with his guitar that just like. I just remember, like, and all, yeah, all, really all sure of all of how he's doing. That. They, <laughs> like, they always make that all of Rage's albums 
they all have that disclaimer, like nothing, no special effects were used. <laughs> right. Yeah. All they take pride that. in that. They're like, oh. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. there, there's, I, I don't know if I'm, that, that makes any sense. And maybe Tom Morello is a genius. I, <laughs> I don't know. How to, I don't know how to gauge any of this, but um, no, I think there's something. Cornell's clearly a literary genius. Yes, I believe so. I think, I think him and um, Kurt Cobain have that in common. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think that's why Kurt Cobain, I think Chris Cornell was, the only, was like the only person out of the entire grunge scene that like Kurt Cobain liked. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah. And, and, you know, and that, and I think what's interesting about Audio Slave, if I can kind of get into my, my, uh, my initial, my, my initial thoughts on the album, mm-hmm. the cool thing about Audio Slave and, 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 and what I liked about them when I initially heard them back when they released the album was they had sort of, um, it's kind of funny that we're listening to this after the NSYNC episode because I, I I blame Audio Slave for kind of pulling me out of my pop obsession uh, that had started with listening to NSYNC and stuff and back into becoming obsessed with grunge because there was a period where mm-hmm. I was really obsessed with early 90s grunge and Audio Slave was like kind of reminded me of that period and I, and I started, mm-hmm. went back and listened to Soundgarden and Nirvana and became really obsessed with Nirvana. Um, <laughs> so I definitely credit them for that. And I think what's cool about Audio Slave is that, like, you know, the, the lyrics, they did not ditch. They, I mean, even though it sounds, you know, it has that sort of 70s classic rock, that Black Sabbath kind of sound to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the lyrics are grunge to me. Like, mm-hmm. that, those are grunge lyrics. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, like, the, 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 the <sighs> The relationship with death alone mm-hmm. isn't like Black Sabbath, and mm-hmm. that it was almost kind of performative. Um, with with Chris Cornell, it's like you feel it, like it's it that the dread is there, mm-hmm. um, but they're also got totally able to make a bop out of it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, Cochise and um, you know, show me how to live and like a stone are 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 awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I never paid attention to those those lyrics back then, like not that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I've kind of learning the lyrics and reading, I'm like, wow, this guy was like, I mean, he was tuned in. Like, like death was his friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I kind of mean like in a positive way, not like you know he was like, wanting to kill himself, but like, like he he just he was he 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 knew it and he knew how to show us that you know that he was so attached to it yeah and that's like when i say he's like an archetype for me like it's kind of like that imagery like of the grim reaper you know that we see like you say like in the christmas carol or something you know like as the the last uh ghost of christmas future or whatever it is Mm -hmm. where you know when we see the imagery of the grim reaper in cinema or in story he's sort of a peaceful character you know what i mean like you almost feel like drawn to this you know or like like uh there's like a sense of ease and like being in the embrace of death or something like that and i think that's what's really tapped into here i think that there is a sense of that of of the work of chris cornell sort of being something you know as as far as like a soul coming through this earth you know something to come and really like stir the pot and cause us to like look at things more deeply and become more aware of our mortality. But there is a sense to me like of like the work wasn't finished a little bit, especially, you know, in 
and how he passed, you know, and that it was ultimately, you know, a, a tragedy the way I see it. You know, I can't see it from God's point of view, of course, but um, I think in music therapy, there's a term called the ISO principle. Okay. And this refers to like a therapy technique where if you have somebody in a sort of state of consciousness, what they will do is they will choose music that meets them right where they are. And then they gradually select music to work them out of that into a more positive frame of mind or something, you know what I yeah. mean? So this music is great, you know, to kind of like meet some people where they are. But I think what, you know, even for me, it's important because I will leave this album in my car and contemplate these things into, you know, just go right down the rabbit hole sometimes where it's hard for me to function day to day and have like superficial conversations because I've been like with my head all wrapped up in the romanticism of death and depression. Yeah. Um, so it's important to like, you know, tap into these things, um, you know, right timing, you know, and to, to make sure that we are taking our own responsibility to move ourselves into a more positive place. Yeah, Maybe that's a lesson, I don't know. Kind of, kind of a sidebar, but you mentioned, mm -hmm. the way you mentioned uh, music theory and sort of working your way out of where you're feeling with the music, that reminds me so much of like all these playlists that Matt makes. <laughs> yeah. Do they build in that way? That are like, well, because Matt, cool. you have these playlists <laughs> that like, you've like documented your life with mm -hmm. music. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you've, you've, you've let me listen to them. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say. <laughs> I've that, made him listen to them. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, more than yeah, one occasion. I, I uh, said, I, I did say one year I'm picking one for Music Mayhem. And we're going <laughs> to nice. do one of those <laughs> instead of an album. That's but go cool. ahead. It, it also kind of reminds me of the scene in High Fidelity. I don't know if you guys. I know Matt's seen. Have you seen High Fidelity, Amy? No. Oh, no. See, good movie, you. But you look like she looked like she has stepped out of High Fidelity yeah. right now. First of all, and <laughs> second of all, listening back to our last episode when you were talking about how you're the quintessential '90s rooms next to each mm -hmm. other, I was like, yeah, Amy or Megan was like. Um, the she's all that room mm -hmm. and Amy was high fidelity. That's what, that's what the two were next to each nice. other, separated by a wall. You gotta you gotta check out high fidelity. I gotta watch it. You'll yeah, see what it's really good. John Cusack. Um, but it just reminded there's a scene in high fidelity where he's where one of his friends comes over to John Cusack's uh, house and all of his records are, are strewn out. I guess it looks as if you're reorganizing your records. Yeah. Um, what is this uh, chronological? No. Not alphabetical. Nope. What? Autobiographical. No f***ing way. Yep. I can tell you how I got from Deep Purple to Howlin' Wolf in just 25 moves. Oh and God. I want to find the song Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. I have to remember that I bought it for someone in the fall of 1983 pile but didn't give it to them for personal reasons. That sounds... Comforting. Yes. It is. That is like Matt's playlist and like listening to him like say, this happened in my life. This, 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 this song happened in this part of my life. It's like, this is like Matt working through his life <laughs> through like <laughs> the music you listen to. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. It, that uh, seems like it's something that actually works. <laughs> maybe, mm -hmm. I, maybe I should do it is what I'm saying. Uh, anyway. everybody everybody listening should that should be your homework now i want a 12 <laughs> we'll say 12 song playlist that 
is some kind of um, stage or part, part of your life. Yeah. Like you can pick a decade or pick the last six years mm. and give a 12 song playlist that this is what I went through through those years. Ooh, but, I'm doing it. That's why people, I mean, yeah, that's why people Challenge. made like, you know, uh, mixtapes for, you know, their mm -hmm. crushes and their girlfriends. Yeah, it's like a mixtape for you. Yeah. But it's, it's, it started because in high school, one of our teachers assigned a project to make a soundtrack of your life in high school and I made it and I thought it was fun but when I was done I was like that's not my soundtrack like it was but it wasn't so mm -hmm. then I went back and made my own and from that day on it's like playlists just have this like build to them where I'm like when I started listening to this music here's what was happening and by the end of it here's where I am is like how these songs go the only exception to that is I have like a hundred song playlist called The World Distorted which is just really weird <laughs> um, alternative rock and stuff kind of music that's a fun one but anyways <laughs> um, well I, I know you guys have like a, a limited amount of time do you have time to sort of for us to kind of go into the weeds on these songs I, I, I do want to say wait before you go to that because I didn't really comment after um, what Amy was saying about this album and this writing and Chris Cornell okay. and about the psych psychological aspect to it. Mm -hmm. um, go for it. I love this type of music for exactly what we're talking about and how it can be dangerous, though. Because to me, this is the kind of stuff that when... It's like when you're in life, when things are going wrong and everything in your life seems to be falling apart... And everybody around you is like, just hang in there, man. You're, it's going to get better. And that just makes you angry and hurt more because yeah. you're like, it's not okay. Like this, or my favorite is everything happens for a reason. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's what you want to tell me when my loved one dies is it happens for like, this isn't okay. And then you have the friend who walks up to you and goes, dude, this really sucks. I'm so sorry. And that's it. There's no attempt to cheer you up. There's no, it's going to get better. There's no, I'm, what can I do? It's just, this sucks, man. I'm sorry. And they just show an understanding of how bad it is in that moment. And almost an acceptance this, of like, it is, it is, a, it is, a, yeah, it, it, it is an acceptance. It. And in a way it is an, it is an allowance. It is somebody saying it's okay to be upset it's okay for this to hurt. It's okay to let it hurt. Like it's okay to, to be in this moment right now and to realize how painful it is and how, how dark it is right now, but you don't want to get stuck there. And mm -hmm. I think that unfortunately, like, like Amy was saying, a lot of times like suicide and stuff like that, it, it is more a moment of weakness than a long running thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, but with like clinical depression and serious depression, it, it can also be a long running thing too. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately with him and his genius, it's like he himself got stuck there. Mm -hmm. I, I can't speak to his personal life and speak to the decisions he made and how he wound up making the one he ultimately did, but it seems like he got stuck there. So he, in, in the Bible, I always talk about this one, like if I'm a pastor someday, I want to remind the church the art of the lament. We've talked about mm -hmm. it sometimes here on the podcast that in America, we don't understand a concept of lamenting. And lament is crying out. It's just saying, this is awful. This is horrible. I can't make it. I can't do this. That is lament. And the difference between lament and despair and depression is the crying out is done in a direction of 
a higher power. Mm-hmm. It's crying out to God saying, this is more than I can handle. This is too much. I don't understand why this is so messed up. It hurts. I can't handle this. But you're crying to him. Whereas depression is when it becomes a cry into a void. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm just voicing the despair and it's not going anywhere. Um, this album is lament. Mm-hmm. It is crying out to the point where he can't even help but write songs directed to his creator. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's literally put there as like, why are you letting this happen to me? It's like the that, that whole, the one you read, the nail in my hand from my creator. It's like, you gave me it, now show me how to live it. Like he's right. literally crying out to God, like this is too much. What in the world? Why, why won't you just tell me what I'm here for? And it's lament to a powerful degree. Um, But then, and again, I'm not commenting on him personally. I'm just speaking purposefully and generalizing. The the danger is when the lament becomes inwardly focused and I'm only crying out to myself. I'm no longer crying out. I'm just reiterating my own despair. I'm telling myself how awful I am. I'm telling myself how I don't deserve this. I'm unworthy. I'm I'm useless. Instead of crying out like, this is pointless. What do you want me to do? I'm now going, I'm pointless. There's nothing for me to do. And I think that going deep into the heart of these issues and this pain, this this album what speaks to you when you hear it is it's diving all the way in. Mm-hmm. It's saying, there's sadness. Now let's see how far I can take it and how sad we can get. And, and it's almost like there's no there's no bottom to yeah, that. But there's a power to diving into pain. It's There's a power to diving into fear. When I'm afraid of something, there's a power to going, okay, how bad can this get? Where can it really go? What's the worst that can possibly happen? Um, If everything went wrong, where would this end? And then there's a freedom and a joy to realizing I've experienced this. I've gone through this. I'm worse off than I ever expected it to be. But I'm here now. Like, I'm still here. And even if that means after this life, you know, being next to your creator and saying, well, you know, that's as bad as it could have gotten. But there's still still grace on the other side of everything. Like, we say there's no bottom to that pit and maybe like from the human perspective that you know is an infinite sort of like black hole of of depression and stuff but from a god perspective it's all good all the time and god's always like i got you like even if you're willing to like bear this huge burden and and to turn it into and into a a way i've heard it talked about when it comes to like the bible there's proverbs which is wisdom it's like little sayings for how life should go if life went the way it should go Um, It's little guidances on how to live and how to be a better person. That's Proverbs. Immediately followed by Ecclesiastes, which is like, look, I did what I was supposed to, and that didn't work. So now what? Um, And that's what Ecclesiastes is. And the way I heard it talked about is Proverbs is like the wisdom literature, and then Ecclesiastes is like the wisdom after wisdom. It's like, you told me how I should live my life. I tried it. I went for it. And kids again i went for it and it still didn't work so now what am i supposed to do Mm. and the power of ecclesiastes is the writer is like okay so i went out and partied and that was pointless i went out and had 
any kind of relationship I wanted, and that was pointless. I got all the money I could have, and that was pointless. Nothing has a point. It's all meaningless. It doesn't go anywhere. But then the common saying throughout the thing is, so eat, drink, be happy, and work, like enjoy your work. The point is there's a power to going, this is how bad it could get. I could, I could lose to the sickness I'm, I'm struggling with. I could die of cancer. I could fall into depression and not be able to find a way out. I could be alone for the rest of my life. I could never meet somebody that brings me happiness and joy. But I'm here now. Like, whatever could happen, everything that has happened, I'm here right now. So right now... I'm going to eat, I'm going to drink, and I'm going to enjoy the work that I have. Like there's a there's a power to diving into where he goes with this lyric and going, this is how bad things are and how bad they could get. But where it doesn't hit for me is the, so that's why right now is the moment to enjoy. Mm. Because if you can focus on, I've got this second right now, then you can face all the other stuff as it comes at you because as you're going through it, you just keep repeatedly telling yourself, but I have right now. I'm here right now. I don't know what's going to happen two seconds from now, but I'm here right now. And it's so eat, drink, and enjoy the work that I have. Um, so that's my thoughts. Yeah, and sometimes enjoying the work that you have is like, like I said, sort of, you know, some of the things that we feel are you know dharma is like sort of a buddhist phrase for it but sort of our um our duty in this life or our purpose or our you know god appointed uh destiny or whatever you know and some some of those things like are dealing for me with subjects like this you know mm. what i mean where i find myself living in a time and place very close to you know a lot of suffering with in people that I care about so, so much, you know, and certainly I've had enough of my own personal experience with anxiety and depression to allow me to get it to a certain degree, you know, and to be able to kind of like relate to and stuff. And so I can enjoy that work mm -hmm. because it's freaking interesting. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And that's what I think God is really about. Well, He's interested in these stories. Yeah, you know, I, God is always sitting with the popcorn on the edge of yeah, his seat, like what's going to happen next. And psychology is always interesting to me yeah. because I started a master's towards psychology before I switched to, mm. to do the Christian studies and stuff to be a pastor. But um, I always said it as if, if the world is full of this darkness that's like depression, despair, hate, anger, frustration, selfishness, if this is the darkness that the world is full of, then to say I want to be a therapist is to say I want to specialize in the darkness. Hmm. It's like I want to understand the darkness better than anybody else does. I want to dive into it in ways that other people don't even begin to understand it so that I can talk to it, that I can interact with it, so that I can hopefully shine light at some point into it so, and that's also why every therapist every psychologist should be speaking to a therapist or a psychologist mm -hmm. because to specialize in darkness also risks losing yourself in that darkness so you should also have somebody outside of it who's helping guide you through mm -hmm. it too which i think is why therapy is a great picture of how all relationships are supposed to work because i 
ultimately I'm going to have to face these things alone. But what therapy shows you is, but you don't have to be alone while you face it alone. Like you're Mm -hmm. the only one who can handle it. You're the only one ultimately that can confront it and deal with it. But that doesn't mean you have to be alone while you deal with it. You don't have to be alone while being alone. It's hard to, (laughs) hard to work, but it's true. You can do the work yourself while having guidance and support around you. Yeah, I, I kind of like the way Stephen Fry put it, and, and I think it was one of his interviews. Stephen Fry is a British actor. Um, also, I think he's like an author as well. I'm not really sure. Uh, but he, he talked about depression as like, you know, sometimes I think like the best thing you could do for some people is to let them be alone, but also assure them when they come out the other end, you're going to be there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting too. I think it's- yeah, I've heard that definitely. Like, I'm here for you is a much better thing to say than it's going to be all right or like yeah. something like that. Just like letting people know that like you're present and supportive, right. and just that they're loved. Like no matter ultimately like what they what they do or what they decide. Yeah. To remind them of that, you know, and that's hard from like a human perspective, but from a Again, like universal oh. God perspective, like we're always loved and embraced. I want to go ahead and just ask Amy, what 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 are uh, name some of your favorite songs that you would love yeah, to? And let's just okay. focus. I on. think that Gasoline is my favorite non-hit yes. song. Me too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, two. that song is so good, and it like gets me going. First of all, even like you know, the first guitar riff, like how this whole album starts, is very like, you know. I love it. You know, it, it gets me like all stirred up inside. Um, just random comments about, you know, what I love about this band, this album, list of songs, Chris Cornell in general. I love how Chris Cornell is like hard rock, but he really has that Southern man vibe to him, you know, oh, yeah. and then that comes in just enough. It's just right. Totally not into like country music, but I can appreciate a good looking guy in jeans with, a truck and maybe yeah. it's dirt that it's that seventies rock aesthetic that yeah. he's got down pat. Yeah, he really he, does in his voice too. That. Yeah, yeah. So so gasoline, you know, it's something I love about rock is how it like works so well with things that I just enjoy, you know, like motorsports and stuff like that, and just that kind of getting dirty and like having fun and and stuff like that. So I think that Audio Slave as a group in this album in particular. Um, had the potential and did spread into a lot of different groups of people, you know, people that identified as, you know, preferring one type of music or the other. Mm-hmm. Gasoline, so good. Um, yeah, so Like a Stone, I do believe that was Audio Slave's biggest hit ever. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that I saw some footage of his funeral and they were playing that. Mm-hmm. He had like an epic appreciation concert i don't know if you guys saw but like a i didn't lot see it but i have been I, people came it's on youtube and i actually do want to watch yeah, it yeah yeah uh i don't know this i hypnotize i like very very much that's, that's a pretty experimental one like. that's like uh that's almost like an, an like an electronic silent song like yeah that's the one they said was like a chemical brothers song mm. that's cool yeah um, yeah, Shadow in the Sun is really good. Again, I like that lyric. We discussed it a, a little bit, but he says, like, I can tell you how people go insane. I can really relate to that because, like I said, I've had my own, you know, experiences with depression and anxiety 
today, tomorrow, you know, every, I, current, it's a constant thing. It's not something, oh, you know, when I was a teenager, you know, I always have to monitor my mental state through sleeping enough, food, diet, because if I start a downward spiral, I'm on a downward spiral, you know what I mean? And then it's going to take more of an effort for me to get up out of that. So I've learned tricks and techniques. That's, that's interesting. Um, I, I've, been, I've been curious what you think about that song because that song, um, I don't know what it is about that song, but like when I re-listened to this album, I just kept going back to that song over and over again. I really, really loved that song on this time around on this album. And mm-hmm. I also did not, could not understand for the life of me what it meant. <laughs> Oh, I really? really I'm like, I don't really get it. I don't understand. But like, I can't stop listening to it. Mm. Shadow in the Sun. It was also yeah. used in, uh, it was used in uh, the Michael Mann movie, uh, Collateral. Hmm. A little scene in that little montage. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, one of the things that I know about Chris Cornell's techniques for writing is that a, it's almost as though he channeled a lot of stuff. And I know his first hit was Soundgarden, Black Hole Sun. Yeah. Throughout his whole career, he always said, I don't know what that song is about. (laughs) He wrote it in like, you know, eight minutes or something like that. It just sort of came through him one day. And in fact, the name Audio Slave was, uh, came to him in sort of a shamanic vision too. So yeah, so there was something interesting about Chris Cornell, again, like as an artist, where it wasn't just like, oh, this is who he was and he was exposing everything to you. It was bigger than him. He was tapped into some sort of field of consciousness that it seemed that he was drawing this, you know, sort of stuff from. Um, So intriguing to me, this whole thing. And so, you know, so to briefly contrast this from last week's music, it really is, you know, kind of night and day in that artistic approach of, um, you know, sort of manufacturing something to sell, you know, and like looking at the market, what's popular right now, you know, how can we polish up to sell this as opposed to just, you know, bearing your absolute soul and making yourself like very raw and just being willing to be a, be a, a vessel, you yeah. know? Well, I think, I think that's also a talent of Rick Rubin, the guy that they're producer who's, mm. he's legendary. He worked with Beastie Boys, worked with uh, Public Enemy. He worked with uh, just, just all these legendary acts, and he knows how to make something sound like, like, like turn whatever your soul is into a hit. Really, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I forget what we were talking about. Sorry, but where we were looking for the song that talked about it not ending. Yeah, I forget what we were saying in that moment, but it was um, "Shadow on the Sun." Oh, it was because it's it's the I can tell you why people go insane. I can show you how you could do the same. I could tell you why the end will never come. I can tell you I'm a shadow on the sun. So it was that one. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't find it when we're, when we're looking for it, whatever the, there's whatever just, the context was. I just, there's just something so hypnotizing about that song to me. Like I yeah. just, I, like I said, I, I, I wasn't able to divine anything from the lyrics. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, I just, I, it just, I can't, this is uh, something I'm going to listen to for a very long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, no, the, the, the lyrics, I mean, this is one I did read through, and that's why it was stuck in my head, but I couldn't find it. Um, and when I read through again, this this one to me is, this is definitely the diving into the the deep part of what depression could become to me is what this is. Like I said, this would be the lament geared toward depression because it's all about like, um, 
it's about how people go insane and how they go insane. It's to me what the song is is how they go insane is by con- contemplating by your own on mentality, crazy thoughts. Yeah, focusing on your own mortality and um, seemingly useless or meaningless other than you're here to cast a shadow on the sun like if you focus on that that's how you go insane so it's like mm-hmm. i can tell you how people go insane and how you can do the same thing uh, because i'm a shadow on the sun and then i'll launch into a lyric of how everything is so full of despair <laughs> but it's like but there's a weird how do i say it there's a weird hypnotizing hope in there somewhere too that i can't figure out why yeah um because the whole because song he... seems like, and that's why I say to me this feels like the lament at the lament idea rather than just despair, because it's such a depth that it's like, oh, this guy's got an understanding of it. It's like it's so deep that oh, we're gonna be okay because we're getting through this, even though the song is all about how like it's it it will probably never end and i'm probably gonna go saying i can tell you why that's what i know that's what because in his work you could see him becoming a more enlightened being Well, and that's why i say he unfortunately and again i can't comment on him personally so i don't want people to think i'm trying Mm -hmm. but that's why it seems from the outside that he he got stuck yeah it seems like he he started building into this this understanding of the depth of how despair works and then rather than rather than having that right time where something just broke through it he got stuck in that despair is what it feels and And, you know i I, i'm learning recently i'm just kind of learning about like the difference between like psychological effects on people versus sociological effects on on people and I kind of feel like, you know, when we hear about people who, you know, it's like you said, you know, he, he was so enlightened, you know, how, how could someone so enlightened, you know, have that moment and, and like take their lives. Um, but it's like, I feel like our society, you know, does some heavy lifting in that regard as well, you know, and, and what, what does it say, not just say about the person, but the society that they live in, mm-hmm. that someone like Robin Williams would kill himself right. in his enormous home with his okay. incredible family, with his uh, uh, just in, in a career we could all envy. Robin Williams was a little bit of a different case. My understanding there is that he was suffering from a mental condition right. that was causing his entire personality to break down. Okay. So it was a little, I think that his, his was a little more purposeful. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't sort of a random thing. It was kind of like he couldn't deal with losing his identity. I see. Yeah, I, I know. Just yeah, I, 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 I didn't know that about him. I don't know. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I also but think about like... even still, I mean, he yeah. had all the money and comforts and care and, you know, still did have people he loved him. So it's interesting that that he did identify so heavily with how how people saw him and how he could make people laugh. You know, it's I, I read somewhere along the time that, you know, we should strive to be in a constant state of arrival and departure. Right. You know, as though we're always coming and we're always going and nothing we have in this life, including our personality and who we perceive ourselves to be and share stuff to the world is really ours mm-hmm. to hold on to. You know what I mean? It's all just like you say, you know, here we are right now. Isn't this interesting? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's that's life. I guess it's just the point I'm trying to make is that sometimes 
even when it comes to depression, there's only so much like one person can do. There's only so much self-improvement you can do or self-betterment that you can do before it's like, you know, I think our society has to do something as well. And what like, though? That's where yeah, I'm like, well, what do we do? Yeah, society, Medicare for all, uh, <laughs> the Green New yeah, Deal. Yeah, uh, universal health insurance. Society universal definitely. Society definitely has a lot of work to do. Yeah. And also, this is, and I want to say this in a way that doesn't sound um, ignorant, cliche, stupid, cheesy, all the, all of the above. But um, that's where, for me, faith comes into comes into play too yeah. and that's why like an Alcoholics Anonymous uh, the Narcotics Anonymous these, these programs start with an understanding of a higher power outside of yourself right? Um, because you can't do the work alone because nine times out of ten you are the work that's needing done yeah. like you mm -hmm. are facing yourself when you're facing these despairs depression addiction you are facing yourself. So if you're trying to do the work yourself, that it's it's it doesn't work that way because you are facing you. But if you can have a faith and a power outside of yourself, um, then you can break through it and start seeing a change and a difference and a power. Um, so there is a a way in which yes, you could work through these things alone as in by yourself as a human being i can work through this but you have to have something outside of yourself even to do that does that make sense mm -hmm. like there has to be a faith in something bigger than you in order to face it so ideally you shouldn't face it alone even in a literal sense ideally you should have support you should have friends you should have those that challenge you those that strengthen you and those that are willing to just mourn with you and say, yeah, this is awful. You should have all that in your life, ideally. And if you can't have that where you're at, then you have to find something outside of yourself to to give you the strength to go to go forward, the strength to take the next step. And that again goes back to like his music is I feel like that's where it stopped. It was, there was an understanding of something outside of me, something bigger than me. And then he lost sight of that, and it was just him. And once that happens, you can't face yourself by yourself. There's got to be something bigger outside of you working. Um, and I think that's why I also agree with Amy that sometimes these things happen in just a literal moment of weakness, that somebody gives in to an impulse that ends their life, and they didn't even realize in that moment the gravity of what they were doing because in that moment of weakness, it just was the thing that made sense. And yeah, it's like a like, true mental illness. There could be something in our water and our food or something that's like causing our yeah, minds and, to melt. It could be tumors half the time. We don't even do yeah. brain scans on people 95% of the time that are showing severe, you know, and there's a story, you know, for people, uh, there's a TED Talk story about a neuroscientist who had a nephew who was Haven's age and his nephew started with homicidal drawings and stuff like that and just really disturbing stuff and because he was a neuroscientist he sent his nephew in for a brain scan and there was a big old tumor in his brain hmm. and they removed the tumor and the symptoms ceased and wow. uh, 
so he's out there. He's got a TED talk about this specifically where he's saying we need to scan people mm -hmm. because we're just guessing, yeah. you know. So we have huge, huge work to do in mental health. I think that there's probably so much that we could discover. But because, like, the mental realm is sort of like a figurative place. And there's so much stigma attached much, to it anyway. Yeah. yeah I mean, you... Yeah. You dive into mental health and psychology, and it's almost trying to have the same conversation as a spiritual thing with people. Sure. When you start talking about mental issues and how depression works and how sure. we can understand it and work through it, it's like trying to explain to somebody how your faith and spirituality work. Like, it's the world tends to treat them the same at a certain point. Yeah. And, and everything's involved. Because it's involved. Your spiritual life is involved. Yeah. Your stress life, your work life, your home situation, circumstances. Did you pay your bills last month? You know, yeah. so, all of that comes into So play. basically, from all Audio slave. We weren't. We learned. <laughs> we learned that all life should be holistic. This might be our heaviest uh, music mayhem ever. It's, uh, <laughs> spirituality, um, mental health, physical health, exercise, relationships—all important. So thank you, audio slave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, is there are there any other songs, uh, Amy? You want to kind of mention and that. I don't know if I can handle any more depth in this episode. Yeah, the last thing that I'll say is that I just, I really feel that Chris Cornell's soul was willing to do this on behalf of all of us. You know, I really feel that the work that he did and the life that he lived, you know, he created a foundation, scholarship funds and everything else too, but just really his art was, has done such a service towards helping us to understand um, a little more and I think that that it was a big it was a big thing you know it was a big burden to carry and I'm just I'm I bask in appreciation for this life that he was willing to live you know because I think that a lot was accomplished there with his honesty you know with his willingness to to be raw well thank you so much for sharing that Amy, really appreciate, it. and I, I really appreciate everything you've said on this episode. You've, uh, you, like, like I said, I think this is our our, our heaviest episode in, uh, in in terms of music mayhem, and uh, I think that's a good thing. I feel I, like I, I've been belligerent. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, I think it's I, no, you know, I don't think you should talk about Chris Cornell or Kurt Cobain without going places. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, and I don't think they would want that either mm. know, or that they wouldn't want that either. Right. Um, so it's, it's good. And, and, and also a, a badass album still to this day in my yeah. opinion. Um, there is one thing I want to mention though, that I think was kind of interesting about the song gasoline, mm -hmm. which is another song that uh, has stuck with me for years. It's actually the only audio slave song I have on my downloaded iTunes, my computer. <laughs> nice. So it actually comes on a lot. I've always looked at it as like, uh, you know, I'm going to fill up my car with gasoline and I'm going to burn it by driving away from this town or just, like yeah. just driving around. But I, I looked at the lyrics last night and I never actually looked at the lyrics, read the lyrics for this song. And um, oh, let, me, let me bring it up. And I think this is just kind of a testament to Chris Cornell and his um, just just his talent. Um he is I feel like he's not just talking about driving away I think he's actually talking about burning something to the ground 
because uh, you know the 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 song starts off with "House is Haunted." I just want to go for a ride out and on before I set the before I set this room alight, mm. left alone forever and for crimes unclear. With my patience gone, someone take me far from here. So it's like I see it as like him deciding, "I've got this gasoline. Am I going to use it to burn burn this mother down, or mm-hmm. am I going to use it to run away?" Oh, interesting. So. I, I I don't know if that uh, makes sense, but that's that's kind of what I got. Yeah. Um, where it's like, I don't know. Oh, see, verse two is another step into exactly what we were talking about too. The new day yawning, another day of solitaire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And house is honest, clearly more than I can bear. Drag me off before I set my world on fire. Out and gone, the sun will never set tonight. Which the sun will never set tonight is because you're burning the place down. Just chills all the time with this like, guy. <laughs> isn't that crazy? Like for the, all the, all these years, I'm like, turn on gasoline. I'm going to drive down this highway. Like, oh my gosh, I've been listening to a guy know. like talking about setting his world on fire. <laughs> yeah. So another thing I'll say, like the song "I Am the Highway." Like I love oh, yeah, yeah. this song, and what this song reminds me of, um, and something actually Chris Cornell said that I, in an interview I recently listened to is that he was like, people are going to hear, people are going to take from this music what they want to. And that was always his intention, never to like, you know, drill it hard down. Like, this is what this song means. But I am the highway. I love how, you know, I'll read some of the lyrics. I am not your rolling wheels. I am the highway. I am not your carpet ride. I am the sky. To me, this could almost be like God singing to a human. Like, don't put me in a little box. Like, I am much bigger, you know, or sort of how we, you know, even like how we look at our life and like, oh, thank you for like this blessing. And like, oh, help me with this curse. And God's just like, you don't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're not seeing the bigger picture. You know, it all works in there together. So I, that's how I hear that song personally. Yeah, it's it's the it's yeah. I mean, it's not to be another, but it's like saying thank you for the boat, like for being my my ship in the night. When it's like, no, I'm the ocean right. that you're on. Yeah, it says I like, am not your autumn moon. I yeah, am the night. I am the night. Mm-hmm. He's Batman. Um, He's Batman. That's what that means. And also, I mean, just we're on a roll. So just going with just the bridge of gasoline. Uh, mm-hmm. Still reading here. It's like no what fours, only a can of red. It says danger on it. I found it. I found another way. Yeah. So did he put the, the gasoline cans. in the car and leave rather than burning it all down? No, I think it's both. But my point is, either way, he doesn't see it as danger. Mm. I found another way. Like he, no, it's not something to be danger it's his tool you use mm. it he burns the whole thing down wow mm-hmm. awesome oh this is a this is a good album can't do it can't do it thank no you more. thank you Moving so much on. <laughs> thank you so much for selecting this album amy you're welcome it was a great listen i wish chuck could have been here i would have loved to hear what he thought about the album um because i i i, I rarely get to talk to him about grunge on a totally <laughs> different note he picked an album and i wasn't able to make it so then on the NSYNC episode, he made fun of me and said, at least I showed up. Mm-hmm. And then he didn't show up for this one. Mm-hmm. So well, you can bring it up on the next saying. episode. <laughs> just saying. All right. Well, I think that's a, a good place to leave it. I want to thank Amy once again for selecting the album and for all of her insight and for everything she's brought to this episode. Yeah. Matt, thank you for uh, most of the same things. Because you didn't select oh, the album. But no. you did bring some great insight. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> 
Um, oh, uh, I guess I should. Yeah, yeah. I need to know what I'm listening to. Yeah. Oh, do you have some news for us? I do. Uh, and uh, before I announce it, Amy, you are totally welcome uh, to join us next week if you'd like. Uh, Yay. Or on every. Let's just say every yeah. week at this point. Just Whatever. let us know if you're coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it is my turn. Uh, the next album that we will be listening to is Definitely Maybe by Oasis. Okay. I've never listened to that whole album, so this is good. But I like Oasis. Yeah, I'm kind of like one of these like Oasis hits fans. Uh, that is another. See, it's another group. I, JP knows how my life works because of the playlist thing we talked about. Nine times out of ten, I know a song. I don't even know who. Here, like, I don't even know who was singing the song. I just know a song. You know what I mean? That I know that Oasis sings. So when you I say Oasis, like I'm like, I know I listen to it. I can't think of anything. Wonderwall. Champagne oh, there you Supernova. Go. Okay, see? Yeah. Right. See, see, see? I know the songs. You gotta hit me with songs. I'm well, embarrassed. I wish that you would have cheated and told me beforehand so I could be like, uh huh, yes. And then I could, like, what's keep funny my is whole like, rock and roll wait, girl. What's, wait, funny <laughs> what's funny is that this is the reaction that I was expecting. I was expecting, <gasps> okay. Right. Now totally, now totally leave this all in, but do a fake rewind where it goes and tell us again, so we can be like, oh yeah, like Champagne oh, Supernova and Wonderwall. Yeah. Well, the thing is, the thing is that neither of those songs are on this album. But oh, great. <laughs> rewind it again. Rewind it. Again. Well, you were showing us that there are songs on this album that. Well, well, you know, the, I, I don't. I think there's one song on there that's kind of still regarded as like a hit. People like it. That's Supersonic. Um, but I'm not really sure. The, the, There's the, one song on it. Uh, the, the, the thing is, I've actually never been a fan of Oasis. Oh, interesting. Um, How do you spell Oasis? And it's not because I, I don't like their music. I've always been familiar with Wonderwall and Champagne Supernova. Hold on. And I, okay. Apple Music doesn't know who they are. It's taking a while. Let me find them. <laughs> Okay, go ahead. What were you saying? Um, so I was saying I've never been a fan. I've liked Champagne Supernova and Wonderwall. That's fine. Uh, but I never really just kind of wanted to kind of dig into their music. I never really felt yeah. the need to for some reason. I don't really know why. Um, but then, you know, there's a, this video. There's this video essayist I follow on YouTube. And he, he made a video essay about music biopics. And mm-hmm. he was talking about how, like, the genre is, like, horrible and bad. But if he had to make his own music biopic would be about Oasis. And he kind of went into their story. Um, and I was really fascinated. I was really intrigued by, by who they were, the, about the, the Gallagher brothers and um, how they went from being like no names to celebrities as teenagers overnight on their own with their own music. Mm. Uh, how the character Charlie from Lost is inspired by, by, by them. Um, this song is so good, Live Forever. Yeah. That, that, I just I had just shared that song on my Instagram story the other day. I was listening nice. to it. Uh, uh, if you want a really good Oasis song, it's it's not on Definitely Maybe. Um, it's called Acquiesce. I listened mm-hmm. to it last night, and I was like, I just want to listen to this the rest of the night. Um, nice. But but yeah, I listened to the album, and I really dug it because it's so cool. antithetical to what I actually think of as, as rock, which has always been grunge, sort of been the center of like how I how much I love rock. And it, it was, they were so antithetical to grunge. They were like, no, music needs to be uplifting. But also, Liam Gallagher is like a total a hole. And it's kind of funny. Um, he Are remi- there 44 songs on this album? No, 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 no. Okay. 
Spotify. Way fewer than that. I don't know. <laughs> Three hours and 24 minutes. No, it's no, that's not, not that much. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I won't get, I don't want to get too much into it because I want to save it for the episode, but uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a, uh, it's a fun listen. I think, I think you guys will really enjoy it. It's, it, it's a change of pace. It's not, um, uh, it, it's just, it's just, I don't know. It's like the perfect kind of Brit pop rock to me that I've Yay. never really gotten into. And I, I really liked it. And I, and I think the, the Gallagher brothers are really interesting characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liam Gallagher actually reminds me of Spike from Buffy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you go watch his interviews, he's really funny and like really crass. And yeah. So that's it. Go listen to Definitely Maybe by Oasis. My phone still won't let me open it. I've been trying the whole time I'm listening to you talk, and it just—it's like no, well, I don't it's, want to. It is on YouTube if you want to listen to pirated music. Um, okay. But there's also uh, Vivo released a, a documentary about the album itself too, if you want to watch. Oh, that. nice. So. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. It's right. like a so before we sign off, I want to shout out to my mom because she's one of our Ooh. biggest fans. She oh, texted you're... me yesterday, and she's like. I just listened to the podcast and now I'm starting the YouTube video. And I was like, mom, it's the same thing. <laughs> She's like, oh, I know. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, thank you so much, Amy's mom, for uh, for listening to us. Uh, we, we like it when moms listen. It's good. <laughs> That's like 50% of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. All right. So thank you guys so much. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, uh, check us out again next week. And uh, have a great week. Good journey. Good journey. Good journey.